It is Sanctity of Life Sunday. We do have um, these, these handouts. Um, if you didn't get one on your way in, we want to hand one on your way out. But um, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I know some of the Sunday school classes talked about Sanctity of Life. But this Sunday, uh, we talk about um, life and we celebrate life. God breathed life into Adam in the Garden of Eden and is our God that brings about eternal life to those that he calls his children. In his creation, he had a plan and his plan was to redeem and to restore his creation through Christ. God's creation on the sixth day He created man, he created male and female, and he created them in the image of God. We were created to reflect the glory of God. We were a special creation. Now we know in the narrative of scripture, the story of God unfolds and the world becomes marred by sin becomes broken by sin, the choosing to rebel against God. And as a result of this rebellion, death entered into the world. And one of the first stains of sin that we see was in the first family, two brothers, the first children of the human race, Cain and Abel, in which Cain takes the life of his brother Abel in pursuit of his own selfish desires. This begins a long list of mankind's choosing his own will, no matter the cost, death, a result of that. Yet God would send his son to die on the cross to give life to those who believe in him. He would be the substitute for sinners. The holy and righteous one would die in the place of sinners so that they could have everlasting life. God again breathing life into his creation through the Holy Spirit. And it's here we find ourselves in the world today preaching for the protection of the innocent in the womb. But Sanctity of Life Sunday is not just about the innocent in the womb, but also about advocating for the orphan, the little girl who's caught up in the sex trade, the destitute, the older person who's languishing in loneliness, cast aside by society, It is remembering, as the psalmist says and is on the card here, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as there was 
none of them. God created each person in his image. He knit them together in the womb. And each person is worthy of life because God created them. Russell Moore says this about Sanctity of Life Sunday. He says, I hate Sanctity of Life Sunday because I'm reminded that we have to say things to one another another that human beings shouldn't have to say. Mothers shouldn't kill their children. Fathers shouldn't abandon their babies. No human life is worthless regarding regardless of skin color, age, disability, or economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of the present darkness, end quote. Yet the gospel is shining, a light in this present darkness that shows God's grace. You, the church, the people of God, are living proof that the grace of God is sufficient for you. Amen? Often we find ourselves believing this lie that we shouldn't talk about our problems, not only in society, but also in the church. That you're believing this lie that you're the only one who's ever struggled in your life. And this is where the the community of believers come together as the church to be a genuine community encouraging one another in the gospel of grace, the gift of God, and being able to walk in grace. That we are worthy, not because we are good, but because Christ is worthy. So this morning, let's pray Let's pray for God to be glorified in his church, glorified in the people of God, to live out the gospel in a world that desperately needs it as we celebrate the Sanctity of Life Sunday this morning. Father, we ask, Father, that we would have hearts that burn as, Father, your heart burns for people, and Father, help us to have compassion for people as they are created in the image of God. Father, we know that you have formed them in the womb, that you have created each and every person to glorify you. And Father, help us, Father, as a nation, as a people, as a community. Help us to see the truth of the gospel. Father, in this dark world, in the darkness of our world that began, Father, in the, when we were exited from the Garden of Eden, Father, we thank you for sending the light of Christ. Help us to remember this light. Help us to to recognize our faults. Help us to see the truth of the word of God and help us to see people as you see them. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you looked at your bulletin this week, you'll find that next week's sermon and the sermon title is in there. And my, my goal uh, for 2020 is just to be prepared, just to walk in here ready to hear from the Lord, ready to worship as the body of Christ together as the church and to hear what God has to say according to his word. So as we do that this morning, I, I want to ask you... Um, Three questions to prepare your heart to hear the word of God this morning. The first question is this. Do you see your life, all of it, your job, your spouse, your marriage, your children, your church, your situation, your circumstance, do you see your life as the grace of God? as the undeserved favor and merited favor of God. Do you see that? Number two, are you overwhelmed by the grace of God? Are you overwhelmed by the grace of God? And number three, do you see the church, the people of God, as God's plan for his glory? Do you see that? That's what Paul's going to show us in this text today. So in this section, Paul speaks of the revelation of the mystery through the gospel. And he relates this mystery that the gospel now leads to that which is the church. Think of it this way. The church, the bride of Christ, the people of God, is the result of the gospel. It is the culmination of God's plan and Paul elevates it of being the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In chapter 3, we see Paul proclaiming this prayer and in, in the midst of this prayer, because the church is the dwelling place of God, he gives this interlude and he can't stop talking about the gift of God's grace that he gave to Paul, and what is that gift? It's the ministry of the gospel, the gift of grace, his calling, his ministry, his service of the gospel to the Gentiles, which would make this beautiful picture of the church. The stewardship of God's grace so that people can see the, and hear the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's where we pick up this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we'll read that together. We'll pick up in verse 7 of chapter 3. It's on page 977 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We'd love for you to look on with us. As we read together the word of God, Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church 
the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the ability to come and hear the gospel. We just pray that you would place into our hearts the word of God this morning. The spirit of God would speak to where we need to see you to know you and to understand you. And Father, we pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, there there are always two ways to look at life. One, through the lens of the gospel, and the other, through the lens of your circumstance, right? Right? Often we get blinded by our circumstance, our situation. Sometimes we get blinded by our successes, right? But oftentimes it's not the successes. Oftentimes it's the failures, the fear, the hurts. And we can't see what God is doing in the pain and through the difficulty. Sometimes we don't even see God. Here's an example of that. It's a light example. But uh, there are some that are serving in junior worship. Junior worship is our, our new nursery care at this age, zero to pre-K, right? That's called, we call it junior worship because we want even the zero to pre-K to have a worship experience. But they're serving with kids with snot running down their face, right? No, I probably shouldn't say that. I might get in trouble. But... The policy is no coughing, sneezing, scratching, tickling, biting, itching, and no fever 24 hours, okay? So just to make sure we're clear on that, that was a joke. Thanks for the courtesy laugh back in the right. Um, no, they're serving with kids, right? They're serving with zero to pre-K, not easy task. They're chasing kids around the room. I've done it before. I kept looking at my watch every five seconds going, when is this over? When is this preacher going to stop preaching? It's not easy. Lots of challenges. But there are two ways to look at serving this morning, okay? One way is I have to serve in junior worship today. I don't get to be in service. I don't get to sing my lungs out. I don't get to hear Christine share the gospel through song, choir. I don't get to hear the word of God preached. I don't get to have a break from my kids who clinged on me all day yesterday. I don't get to fellowship pre and post service with my friends. I just have to herd cattle, right? I'll wait till next week. That's one way to look at it. Or... To say, I, I get to be a steward of God's children this morning. 
God has given me this grace to be able to serve. I get to, to do this for the parent who's sitting in the pew who needs to hear the power of the gospel in, the, in their life this morning. I get to serve the moms and dads of these children. I get to show this child love as the church of God. So at zero years old, that child feels the love of Christ through the church and the people of God. And this is the gift of God's grace for me. This is what Paul is saying. Even in these chains, even from his suffering, though I'm the very least of all the saints, though I am unworthy, God in his grace has given me the ability to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And even though I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ from prison, or preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to a two-year-old, it's worth it. It's the gift of God's grace. You see, one way of thinking leads to exhaustion, leads to burnout, leads to just trying to get through. One way is energizing, fulfilling, and breathing life. Gospel lens that you see through your life. We often live the Christian life like we don't see the unsearchable riches of God's grace all around us. If only we could meditate on these verses and see the beautiful plan of God unfolding before us, which is what we're doing here in Ephesians. We're taking our time through the book. But at the beginning of the letter, Paul makes a point to reveal this great salvation which God has given through Christ, but then also to reveal the mystery of the church, the gospel on display as the people of God come together as the bride of Christ. Guess what? This bride of Christ, Christ is presenting in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Why? Not because we are good, but because Christ is good. And the spirit of the living God lives inside of his church. The ministry of the gospel to the church is the gift of God. It's grace, God using Paul for a purpose and calling for his church to be reminded that God has a purpose for all of us who are here, who are in God's church. So let's look at verse seven with, together. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This is our first point this morning. The church is made up of servants. The church is made up of ministers in the ESV or servants of the gospel by the gift of grace. Servants of the gospel by the gift of grace. The word used in the ESV is minister. In the Greek, it's diakonos. We know that term for deacon, a servant. Paul was a servant of the gospel. 
Paul will use the term doulos or he will use the term slave in the book of Romans, Titus, and Galatians referring to his, his, his essence of the gospel compelling him. But he uses the term servant or minister here. And later he will tell us that we are all ministers of this gospel. As in chapter 4, he says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip all of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let me ask you this question. Do you view the church as something that you do? Or something that you gain from? Or something that you participate in as a, as a club or a place to serve, work, and eat? Or do you view the church of, as the result of the gospel affecting the lives of yourself and the people around you? And overflowing this gospel into your community and into the lives of one another? gather together because we gather together at Northwest because we love Jesus. We want to devote ourselves to the word of God, to be a biblical community, and to show our love and affection for Christ towards one another and towards the lost and dying world. Paul's view of the service to the church as the gift of God's grace is, something that, is not something that he is just entitled to. You, you can tell the difference between someone who recognizes they are in a position because of God's grace or someone who thinks that they are deserving of that. My, my kids... Um, Sometimes they feel this sense of entitlement. Uh, I don't know if it's my parenting skills or, or what, but as um, if they are deserving of something, right? Last night, a good example of this, we were um, of, of, of non-contentment or entitlement um, just arising from the depths of their heart, right? I'm sure, parents, you can all equate with this, but I, was, I watched this unfold as, as their mother just serving them completely, just cooking them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, and taking them to their basketball games, and playing with them on the floor with their toys. Yes, she, she's a super mom. She's not here, so I can talk about her, but... Um, she took the kids swimming to the YMCA. We all went, but she, I mean, she, she planned this out. She, she did all of these things, and then she fixes them a milkshake right before they're, they're going to bed, and we're sitting down playing Uno, and she says, it's time for bed. And their response, no, I don't want to. Except they said it a little bit more snarky than that. No, I, I don't want to. Almost to say, I deserve another game. Uh, this is Paul. 
what is he saying? He said, of this gospel I was made a minister. Not because I was deserving or I was the best or I had, I had knowledge of the word of God or, or Jesus met me on the, the road to Damascus, but by the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. He worked it. He did it. Not me. I'm undeserving to be in this role, and yet God has given me a gift of grace. Who is Paul? He writes 13, maybe 14 books of of the New Testament. A third of the New Testament is written by this man. He plants churches all over the world. He is the man. Yet his role is a servant by the grace of God. But, but, but get this. Paul doesn't just get this from himself. He gets this from Christ. This is the very mind of Christ. Philippians 2 says, this, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What what if the church had this mindset? What if the people of God had this mindset that I'm not entitled to anything, and yet it is by the grace of God that he has put me here. I'm a servant. This job, whether wiping kids' noses or whatever it may be, was given to me by the working of his power. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because it is a gift of God's grace to me. Do you see your life as the grace of God? Do you see your marriage as the grace of God? Do you see your workplace as the grace of God? Do you see your being a part or a member of this body as the grace of God? Or do you see yourself deserving more? Paul certainly doesn't. Verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is our second point this morning. There's a lot to unpack here, but this is trying to summarize these truths here. The church preaches the unfathomable riches that are found in Christ. The church preaches unfathomable riches are found in Christ alone. Professor Russell Conwell, in his lectures, Acres of Diamonds, tells a story about a wealthy farmer in Africa who owns this large farm full of orchids, grain fields, and gardens. Think of that. 
One day a visitor came to his farm and he described these fortunes being made by people discovering diamond mines in Africa. This visitor spoke in detail describing these beautiful stones as he said they they looked like drops of sunlight. He described how these diamonds could purchase any desire of the farmer's heart and could place his children on thrones around the world through the influence of his great wealth. That night the man went to bed discontent with what he had. He feared he was poor even though he had orchids, grain fields, and gardens. He lay awake thinking to himself, I want a mine of diamonds. So he sold his farm and left his family in the neighbor's care. For years he searched for diamonds. He searched through mountains and valleys and deserts and plains. But he never found his mine. When his money was spent and his clothes were in rags, he he stood wretched and ruined, never to be heard from again. Sometime later, the man who purchased his farm was walking along the stream of his property, and as he looked down, he noticed a curious flash of light. The light beautifully reflected the colors of the rainbow on the stone. The man placed the stone on his shelf and thought nothing about it. The same stranger returned and saw the flash of light from the stone on the mantle and said, that's a diamond. The man said, no. No, it's not. It's just a rock from my stream. So they looked in the stream and on the property. It was full of gems, more beautiful and valuable even than the first. You see, some of us here we're resting in the grace of God. We understand the grace of God and yet we don't even know what we have. We go chasing after pleasures and money and all these false promises of the world All why God is saying there are unsearchable riches found in Christ. You see, the word unsearchable here in the text is built upon the word for footprint, like a tracker trying to find something. These riches are untrackable. They're incomprehensible. They are incalculable. My second question to you this morning is this. Are you overwhelmed by the grace of God? Sometimes the the story of the gospel is overwhelming to me. The story of God's redemption for me is overwhelming. And we often think of this this gospel as as this rescue mission where God just kind of throws a life raft out there like a good lifeguard would just throws us, a, throws us a rope and everyone golf claps, right? Good job, good rescue, great job, you know? Good lifeguard, Jesus saved us. But it's simply much more 
than that. The gospel, it goes so much deeper. Just then throwing the, the life raft. You see, God himself came down from heaven to earth. God himself got into the darkness, into the the depth of the waters. And he doesn't just throw us his life from. He comes to us and he gives his life for our sake. He dies on a cross for you. Son of God, emptying himself, becoming nothing, becoming a servant, dying a death on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. You see, this message It brings about joy. It brings about worship. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be sought. You know, some people tell me, and and our kids, our youth are going to YEC this weekend, so they're going to hear all about evangelism. But some people tell me, you know, I'm, I'm nervous I'm nervous preaching the gospel to my friends. I'm nervous preaching the gospel to my coworkers. I'm nervous preaching the gospel to my children. Yet all we're doing is telling of the unfathomable riches of Christ. We have no problem telling people about our our diamond ring. We have no problem telling people about our newest Instagram post. We have no problem telling people about our new movie that we saw. If we find God glorious and worthy of worship, then we will find the gospel bursting forth from our lips. Our evangelism begins with a heart of worship. You want a heart for evangelism and preaching Christ? Know God. Grow in the gospel. And guess what? Your heart will be compelled to go and tell of the unsearchable riches, the unfathomable riches of Christ. This is what Paul preached the gospel which brought something to light. The church, the people of God. Let's look at verse nine here. The unsearchable riches of Christ to the end of verse eight and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Remember, mystery was last week, but The mystery is the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to be the people of God. The church, the dwelling place of God is for all nations. The mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Not only created us in the sixth day, created mankind, he also created the church. 
by sending Christ and dying on the cross and giving us new life and, and being able to access to God and becoming the church, the dwelling place for the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could come in because he declared us righteous. Bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church... Now, whenever I say the church, I don't mean an organization. I don't mean a building. I don't mean uh, a pastor. I don't mean uh, whatever. The church is the people, the household of God. That's what it is, the people of God. If this building went away today, guess what? Northwest Baptist would still exist. Why? Because the church is the people of God, not the building, not the property, not the organization, not the pastor, not, not anything else but the people. The church, the people of God, through the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is our third point this morning. The beauty of God's plan is made known through the church. The beauty, the majesty, The manifold wisdom of God is made known through God's church. You see, the the church is the crown jewel of God's plan. It is revealing the manifold wisdom of God. Paul is explaining that the church exists to glorify God. So we see in Revelation... Jesus is moving among his church. And guess what? In Revelation, we, we, we see these seven churches. And in some churches, Jesus is being glorified. Christ is being glorified. God is being glorified. The church is operating as it should. And in some places, it's not. But guess what? If this is the crown jewel of God himself, is he not going to uphold it? Is he not going to build it? Is he not going to rescue it? Is he not going to find joy in it? He should because it exists for the glory of God and in shining light on this mystery that all people will be welcome in the church That the gospel will go to all nations. That many people from all tribes, tongues, and nations will come together and worship Christ in his church. And guess what? This is not only going to show God's wisdom to man as we see that the outside of people that are in the outside of the church that don't understand the gospel look at the gospel and go, I want a piece of that community. Man sees that, wants to be a part of it. But also it shows us here, because he talks about making known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, but also the angels look at these things. And they marvel at the church. They marvel at the people of God coming together to worship this God from different avenues, different backgrounds, different places, all coming together and going, we are here to glorify God together through the Spirit in which He's powered us to do the work that He's called us to do. 
This is a beautiful picture of the church coming together and acting as the church. So the angels will look and marvel at this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. The church also shows the glory of God. So this is, this is my heart, right? Sometimes I, my heart hurts when I see a church that is dead, that the Spirit is not moving amidst His people, the church that is not glorifying Christ, that is self-centered, inward-focused, rather than what can I do for God, a servant of God's grace, a gift of God's grace, that pains me to see that. And, and I pray often, and you should too, for this church, the people of God here that gather here at Northwest, to be a beacon of light, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to not only people outside, but also people inside. That the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of his church would be so magnificent that people would go, man, that's different. You see, the word manifold is used to describe also Joseph's multicolored robe. It is the multifaceted wisdom of God. To save sinners from all nations and to gather as a people of God. And as he gathers as a people of God, he then fills these people with his spirit to proclaim the gospel to other people. Redemption, restoration, forgiveness, purpose, design, all things you find within the body of Christ, within the church. The people of God who have been restored by the grace of God, living out the gospel with one another. Verse 11 tells us this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You see, this boldness and access brings about confidence to enter into the presence of God as God's children, not because we are deserving, but because of Christ. The eternal purpose has been fulfilled and realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For this boldness and access brings about confidence to enter the presence of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is why one of the biggest things that the church does is prayer. Because we have boldness and access to 
Christ our Lord. And we ask him to be with us. So in conclusion, Paul writes this in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. He says this to Romans in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's saying it's worth it, church. It's worth it to give up my life and the present sufferings that I have for you so that you, church, will glorify God. That you will see the unfathomable riches of the gospel in Christ. That you would understand those and that you would live them out. That you would be a light to a lost and dying world. That you would see that you're all servants or ministers of the gift of God's grace. It's a privilege to be part of God's church here at Northwest. It's also a privilege to serve as a part of God's church at Northwest. Let us not forget why we exist, which is to glorify him.